Welcome to System Mastery, fellow patriots. It's the podcast where if we do our jobs right, no one beats any horses, dead or alive, for any damage. Except for us. We'll do some damage, all right. Damage to commies and uh, Alcadios and... Um, wait, 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 this isn't really my lane. Uh, we're reviewing Terror Network, the game of fighting terrorists and knowing a lot about the FBI's office flowchart. So put that little curly communicator wire in your ear and get your sunglasses ready, because it's System Mastery. Hey, John. Hey. You know how uh, every once in a while someone will send us $75 on our website in exchange for our time and effort reading their ad on our show? I do know that. Yeah. It's oh, called, I know it. It's called Announcement Mastery because Jumbotron was taken, apparently. Uh, and it's very easy to do. If you want to do one, you just stop by our website. There's a Give Us Some Money button. You follow the prompts from there. Yeah. Well, this week, we've got one. Oh, we got it. And it's for a Kickstarter that launches the day this episode drops. This very now, this Kickstarter is dropping. <laughs> Why? This very day, the spirits <laughs> did it all in one night. <laughs> Damn it. Only that scene. Only that one. No other Christmas Carol scenes. We've never <laughs> once come across a time when it would be relevant to get mad at the other workers for wanting more coal. Come in and know me better, man. I fucking love that line. <laughs> hey, everyone. Do you want to be gay, pilot mechs, and kill Nazis? Yes. You could do it in Extreme Meat Punks Forever. Nice. It's the role-playing game coming to tick Kickstarter June 2021 right now. Yeah, June 1st, 2021, this day. This very day. Why, tis this day, sir. Shoot, we just did that. God damn it. God damn. <laughs> Based on the cult video game series that Rock Paper Shotgun described as raw, bloody, tough, and not the slightest bit concerned with civility, and Wired called... Wild, melancholy, funny, and willing to take absolutely none of your shit, Extreme Meat Punks Forever, the role-playing game, is written by video game creators Heather Flowers and cult TTRPG creator Arabelle, and brought to you by Sinister Beard Games, publishers of Quietus and Night Rain. Nice. Yeah. Who doesn't like a good sinister beard? I, I your love beard it. is left-handed. Yeah. I love a sinister... Yeah. <laughs> I like my beard edgewatt myself. In this game, you'll play as part of a gang of queer anti-fascists in a strange place called Meat World. Mm -hmm. All the technology here is made of meat harvested from the dead god you're spinning through space on. Nice. This tech includes meat mechs, giant flesh golems you can pilot. You've got one of these mechs, which is just as well because Meat World is full of monsters, old gods. It's a land that wants to eat you alive, and there are so, so many fucking Nazis. <laughs> Why are there so many Nazis? <laughs> there are way too many Nazis. They said there'd only be a few Nazis. This is a terrible vacation. <laughs> You'll play to fight the fash, explore the weirdness that is Meat World, attack and dethrone God, solve mysteries like a gore-dripping Scooby gang, deal with trauma, and if you're lucky, make out with your friends. Nice. All of that sound good? I don't know. I don't have any friends that I'm super into. Sweet. Okay. <laughs> I mean, hell yeah. <laughs> so hop on over now to meetpunksrpg.com to sign up for a notification when the campaign launches, or because it has, just go check it out on DriveThruRPG for the free quick start version, or 
go over to Kickstarter and, uh, you know, back. look for Meat Punks. Yeah, look for Meat Punks. Back the game. There can't be five other things on Kickstarter right now also called Meat Punks, can there? Yeah, well, one's Meat Cute Punks. and <laughs> Meat Cute Punks. It's a new dating service. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Meat Cute Punks, the dating sim. <laughs> <laughs> One of them is Meat Punks, which is uh, playing as those guys from Star Control 2. <laughs> powered by blood. Powered by queer rage. Powered by the apocalypse. MeatPunksRPG.com All right, well. I think that sounds awesome to me. I'm going to go check that out, especially because I could do it right the fuck now. I'm doing it. Also for the problem with the next 30 days. So if you want to support that Kickstarter, by all means, head on over and check it out. That's Extreme Meat Punks Forever. And otherwise, let's get going with the show. Thank you for checking us out. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It's me, your host of System Mastery. Jeff, as always, joined by the other host of System Mastery, my good friend and yours, John. Hi. He's your friend. I'm your friend to the end. He's your friend in the digital age. (laughs) ho He also needs to borrow some money. I need about mm, five bucks if you got. (laughs) If you can loan John five dollars, click here. (laughs) Go to our website, systemmasterypodcast.com and give us some money. To give us $5. Yeah, and please note that it's not a loan if you do that. Please note. Yeah. (laughs) I just want $5. (laughs) If you want to work out a deal where you actually loan John $5, please contact John at his real address, 123 Anytown Street, USA City, America Town. Good. What's the zip code again? Uh, 60652. That's the one. (laughs) (laughs) So you're in Chicago? Yeah. Also, I'm Scruff McGruff. <laughs> All right. So anyway, uh, how are you? I am doing good. I, uh, I'm i raring and ready to go. Yeah, me too. It's been a while. This, I think, is our first book that is a physical copy that we had to share between the two of us in like almost two years. Oh, it's, I mean, less than that. Yeah. But it has been a while. The entire pandemic, we basically... We're forced to just do PDFs. Yeah, and the very occasional book where, for one reason or another, I have two copies. Yeah. We only did that, like, twice, though, in the whole... T- but this time, I read it first, and then I- this is old-fashioned for us, getting back to when one of us gets a week to read a book, and then the other person gets a week. Yep. And, you know, it's not that hard. This Terror is a tiny Network book. is... It's a slim volume. I'll yes. tell you that. It's barely over 100 pages, mm-hmm. and, you know, big print. It's not a dense book except it is packed with a lot of information though by god for a book that's it well i mean we can get it out of the way early remember one of our primary angry concerns about the rpg panty explosion besides everything else <laughs> uh where where despite the dumb name and the uh, over sexualization of the content uh one of the things that we didn't like about it was that it was clearly someone who just cared an incredible amount about japanese schoolgirls and wanted everyone to know yeah and this is i don't even that's a category of rpgs that i don't even have a name for well i mean we saw this back with the uh the furry, the furry pirates. pirates yeah same thing where it's someone just knew a ton about the golden age of piracy and the book ended up being far less about fun swashbuckling anthro adventures than it was an exhaustive list of everything that ever happened during those years yes exactly and then occasionally whoever was writing furry pirates would stop 
collect themselves and go, oh, shoot, yes, this is supposed to be about furries. And then they go back through and change it to be like, ah, yes, in, in the 1540s, Ceylon was known for its fur, uh, for its cinnamon trade. Many furries worked on this. Uh, Cromwell was a badger. <laughs> so there's a whole genre of RPGs. Usually they're pretty slender uh, that are this person knows a lot about X and also they like RPGs. Yes. And and uh, they always end up being the same thing. There's a little tiny rule set that could practically be excised. And then there's 80 pages of detailed history that most of the time will not have anything to do with any game you could possibly run in the setting. Oh, no. Because most of it is just, I know the minutia about yes. a subject, and that is not going to affect you in any way. Yeah. Are you like me? Do you have a problem where you know an incredible amount about World War II airplanes or sharks or something, and you are desperate to spout that information to anyone who is holding still? Well, and... and well, Erica? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you're like me, you've learned that no one will hold still for that, and so what you do is you write a role-playing game. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's called Flying Circus. <laughs> well, Flying Circus is more about World War I airplanes. <laughs> to be fair. I mean, and, and even then, fake versions of them. Also, to be fair, you can create whatever plane you want in there. That's, you know, that's not, there's nothing wrong with that, but it is set in a fictional world where there's dragons in the sky and the airplanes aren't real and so on. I'm, and the points don't matter. And the points don't matter. But uh, I'm going to bat for, sort of going to bat for a role-playing game right now, made by a friend of ours. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Terror Network is that, but terrorism starting around 9-11 uh, and then diving back into uh, before that for a little bit. Now, i got to say... When I first picked this up and I was like, oh my god, Jeff, this book, we have to get it. Well, I mean, there's a good reason for that. Oh, yeah. Because you look at the front and you're like, oh my god, a counter-terrorism role-playing game? That's terrible. You flip it over and on the back is a barely Photoshop, like... Yeah, uh, no, it's just got a blur gun over blur it. Blur on yeah. a, a picture of the Twin Towers... With smoke coming out of one of them. Well, it's collapsing. It's a shot of that tower mid-collapse. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's not great. It's also, I gotta say, speaking of the back, since I'm looking at it right now, uh, it starts with, from the mountains of Afghanistan to the streets of Boston, and I was like, ooh, this came out before the Boston Marathon bombing. <laughs> Good job, guy! It's true, the book did come out before the Boston Marathon bombing. I thought the same thing, and I looked it up. I was like, oh, shoot, does that, I was trying to do a thing where I, was, for, for my own fun, I was trying to date this book without just looking at the date. Oh. And so when I saw the back and I was like, to the streets of Boston, I was like, damn, this thing's more recent than I thought it would be. Nope. If it's just got the Zarnay guess, of, yeah. <laughs> But no, it's, it's a lucky guess. Although I think my favorite thing about the cover of this book is on the front. Uh, there's an endorsement on the front that I think is my favorite thing about the, the outdoor outside of it. This is the only book to be, as far as I know, endorsed and recommended by some guy who works for one of those tin pot, almost blackwater mercenary companies endorsed by soul Bradman, director of training, counterterrorism operations, security solutions, international. So he definitely works for one of those companies where a bunch of guys in socks and sandals strap on like big old weapons and drive up and down the port the, the American Mexico border to help. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's uh, what we have. I here. just respect the border patrol so much that I also want to harass Mexicans. <laughs> like, I'm not sure if that's exactly what Saul Bradman does, but I heard, I hear this, the, the title and the company and I'm like, yeah, automatic. Fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I do not know you, but fuck you. 
if there's one thing this book I learned from reading this book, it's that there are enough counterterrorism organizations in the government in the U.S. that I don't need your shitty little storefront version. Well, I, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this book even starts out with like, hey, I talked to so many people in the industry and I've done exhaustive research on this topic. And at one point even goes like, yeah, but I figured there should probably be a game in here somewhere. <laughs> I didn't want this to just be an exhaustive book about counterterrorism. So I wrote a, a not terrible, fairly simple role-playing game. Uh, I mean, that's the thing. This guy managed to get this book to print, as always, no matter how much I may hate the subject matter of any given one of these books. I, I, I got, am currently I, holding it. I got to re respect the fact that John has a copy in his hands. This thing made it to stores where I assume, uh, and it is currently on drive through RPG as well. You can, you can still buy this one for about five of bucks. Yeah. Um, we found this one at Gen Con, right? Yep. Yeah. This was one of the Gen Con halls where I was like, God damn, I can't believe this. Yeah. Yeah. With the endorsement on the front and the picture of Dino, after all the shit, the rightfully deserved shit that was flung at that fucking... I don't want to say his name on my show, Zach guy from fucking whatever. Oh, uh, good. Yeah. That will do it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> his name is Zach guy. <laughs> no, I don't care if I say his name on the show. What's he going to do? Brigade us? We're tiny. Who um, gives a shit? Yeah. After he got all that shit for the, a book with an, I don't think it was him specifically who got this shit, but some vampire book had a picture of hands holding the Twin Towers and the rest of the New York skyline and sand crumbling like so much hourglass of the sand through the hourglass or shit. And it was like an art project where they're like, oh, makes you think, doesn't it? Uh -huh. the, uh, towers with smoke coming out of them. Same here. Here. No, it's just a fucking picture of the Twin Towers collapsing. Fuck it. <laughs> no. Fuck you. How about we put some pictures of what is currently a whole lot of people melting to death on the back of our book? Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a choice. And I thought for sure that when I started reading this, I was going to be like, oh, this motherfucker. I can't wait to hate read this because no, this guy is, is going to be the type of guy that makes a book like this. And has opinions. Yeah, and I would be willing to bet that this guy actually does have opinions. That said, he is religiously neutral in the book, all the way through. You only find little hints of opinion here and there. Oh, yeah. I mean, like we had mentioned before, most of this book is going to just be, you know, information about various organizations mm -hmm. and the history of various terrorist groups and things like that. But he goes out of his way to be like, nope. Every time I talk about something, it's going to be in the most neutral tones imaginable. I'll if it's, mention controversy, and yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll detail what both sides of the controversy think. If it's divisive, I'll just go ahead and be like, here's what they say. Mm -hmm. I will not say my opinion. Yeah. So if you want to find his personal opinion on all this stuff, uh, you have to either really read between the lines a little bit or just ask the man directly because he was he was aggressively neutral in tone throughout. Oh, yeah. That said, I mean, it's still just by by dint of the subject matter of the book he's writing about where you you may be wondering what you play as in this book. And let me go ahead and uh, save you the the, uh, the break the tension for you. Now, you don't play as terrorists. No, because it's a counter terrorism yeah. role playing game. Yeah. Uh, so you're playing as various people from various agencies or uh, private operations whose job it is to fight terror. Yeah. So you start as you know, you have to pick. One of your agencies, mm -hmm. you know, either you're going to be an FBI, a CIA, a homeland. Yeah, the police. Uh, I mean, I don't want to get too much into the back end of this book, but 
The guy is so aggressive, so thorough throughout, just so painstakingly thorough that he'll include organizations that technically are part of the Homeland Security umbrella, but aren't relevant. Like the TSA gets a full write up in here, including multiple branches of the TSA and like spun out theories about how sometimes that they may be called upon to defend an airport. Yeah, about that. It's just fun times where you're like, oh, yeah, I would love to see some TSA agents defend an airport. They would be like, terrorists, you can't come through here without loosening your belt. Don't forget to open your bag. I make $9 an hour. (laughs) I am not paid enough to give a shit about this. I, I do not blame them. I blame the TSA for everything else, but not that. Nope. So you got to get your... Uh, your agency. You also pick a background for your character, whether mm-hmm. you are uh, a military background, an academic background, or just a civilian background. Yes, and those are effectively the character class of the game, as close to it as there is. Yeah, because technically the agency you're from doesn't really affect your character's like stats or abilities no. outside of who do you call on, like it's, who's it's, your contact. Exactly, it's window dressing. It, when you there's a clout score in the game that you can use to get people in agencies to do what you want uh you you get your full score if it's your agency and half your score if it's not yeah and that's it i mean it mostly is used to help determine what type of campaign you're going to run like if you're running cia it's going to be very unlikely that you're working inside the borders of the u.s and that's just understandable unless you're a cia analyst in which case i guess the entire game is you rolling skill rolls yeah be like yeah i tracked where that money was going and then i rerouted it so it was going somewhere else (laughs) Job well done, everybody. Let's go get a Heineken. Hey, guys, I did it. (laughs) I mean, that's a thing where I wasn't even sure about the CIA's operational structure. But thanks to this book. Thank you, book. Anyway, um, the three uh, classes you can choose from, military, military, academic, civilian, are extremely close. This game has seven skill categories. And you'll get four of them primary and three of them secondary, or maybe that's reversed. Two of them primary. Is it? Is that it? Is it two primary? Three. Well, you get three. one that you auto get because yeah. of your group, and yeah. then two you pick. Okay, so it's three primary, four secondary. Everyone gets every skill category, though. Yep. Uh, and one of them is automatically selected by your choice of military, academic, civilian. I believe the only other thing it gives you is like contacts in that range. Yeah, so it's very, very. It's essentially just you have a military contact, an academic contact, or a civilian contact. Exactly, uh, and then it picks one of your skill. You, you could not have the military, academic, civilian distinction, and it wouldn't change the mechanics of the game even a little bit. Yeah, I mean the fact that it says that you have to have one of them as your primary is just like. Yeah, but if I was making an academic-themed guy, I would probably have knowledge as one of my primary categories anyway, so whatever, who cares? Yeah, I mean, basically, if you're military, there's you, you get the, uh, I think it's the military skill combat. P- combat skill package, civilian gets the specialist, and academic gets the knowledge, but all that means is that you can't build a character who doesn't have one of those three as a primary. Yeah. Which, I mean, if you're making a character in this, you're probably going to have combat or specialist anyway, because that's where most of your, like, cool cinematic type things where you're like, well, I want to know how to use a gun, and I want to know how to do, like, cool specialist, like, special ops nonsense. I mean, I I can see building a character whose primaries are, you know, mental defense and vehicle and be like, oh, yeah, my character was a race car driver. I was a race car driver. (laughs) And now he's a man of robot. He is a man of robots. He's robot man. Robot man. 
I mean, that's the first superhero I can think of whose or, whose back backstory is that he was a race car driver. Is there another one? Uh, I mean, there's uh, the kind of. I mean, I guess kind of kind ghost, of ghost rider, kind of ghost rider. Although he's a stunt cyclist and not a not a race cyclist. I mean, you also had sort of street racing with the oh the the Danny Reyes. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's fair. He was a street racer, not a not a sanctioned professional racer. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, sorry. I don't know why I'm on superheroes. This is because I'm trying to drag this this game in, or into a topic I give a shit about. Ah, that must be it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it would be so easy to just go. I do knowledge and mental and vehicle skills. I do not see combat at all. Yeah. I will stay in the car. And if you need me to translate something or you've check out my, some data, you've got my cell number, buddy. But yeah, you pick one of those three. Uh, and then the way it works is if you have a, if it's a primary skill, you get 12 skill points to spend among the various skills in that category. If it's a secondary category for you, you get nine points instead. And that is for each category, every category. Yeah. So if I have uh combat physical and specialist, I'm doing a full badass. So every character's, I would have 12 points mm -hmm. in combat, 12 in physical, 12 in specialist. Yes. And every character, uh, ha that means that every character starts with 72 skill points in uh, spread out across all seven of the skill categories. So while you can make a pretty varied character, they are pretty much all going to have access to the same stuff. But you also can't really get super high in any given category because the points to go up are progressive. So if I want level one, it's a point. If I want level two, now it's three points because you just combine the level into what you spent. And, and honestly, the max rank that you can invest into a skill anyway is three ranks, which costs a total of six points. Uh, so no, you can get ten points into level four if it's one of your primaries. Oh, that's right. You can't get to level four. That said, I don't even know if it can contribute more than because there's a skill point cap. There's a there's a point in this game at which you can no longer because the mechanic which is six yeah six the mechanic of the game is that for every die you have an or every rank you have in a skill when you want to do something you pick up that many d10s and roll them and then take the highest one and compare it against the difficulty number that's been assigned by the the DM yeah so you're just looking to see if you succeed or not yeah uh, and the I mean as long as we're talking about that the dice system in this is interesting in that a 10 will always succeed, but it's also the only way to not even critically succeed, but fully succeed. Because yeah. in the non-combat section of, you know, rolling skills, they're like, yeah, if you roll over, if it's, you know, your target number that you're trying to beat is a five, mm -hmm. then, you know, if your highest number is an eight, you succeed but you only barely succeed. You have to get a 10 to fully succeed at something. Yeah. Now, the game doesn't pre doesn't present it that way. It's just the way that we're reading it. Because it's always like, oh, you succeed with kind of a cost. But they pre present re rolling 10s as success plus. They're like, this is a little extra success. Whenever you roll a 10 in the game, you get a little extra. Except, Except it's they not. show the you chart just, and yeah. it's just, what is this? Uh... A nominal success. What is a 10? A full success. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, so there's a bit of a difference there. And that is the core mechanic for virtually every aspect of the game. Uh, combat is just you pick up the, the relevant combat dice, like your skill with small arms or medium arms or heavy arms fire, whatever it is. Roll that many dice. You're comparing them against a a, uh, a difficulty number set by the, the enemy character's defenses, which are 
also things they invest ranks in that generate static values. Mm-hmm. So if you have three in dodge, you have a static dodge value of three, unless there's some other secondary or mitigating factor like cover or armor. Um, so w- meaning that for someone to shoot you, they have to beat your dodge value. Yeah, on on any of those dice. And and then man, for someone that's to, easy. By the way, yes. Well, that one of the one of the constant tenets of this game is this is hyper realism. Real real people can't dodge bullets. Once again, from the back of the book. With 42 skills and a gritty, high-body-count system, yeah, Terror Network is sure to get your adrenaline pumping. Nothing gets my adrenaline pumping like making another character in the middle of the game. Oh, yeah. Now, the game, at least, is like, oh, you should probably have multiple characters that you make at the start because, you're gonna one, die. you're probably going to die, and two, this is also a game where they're like, oh, you can jump between things, so yeah. you'll be like... I made a CIA character, we're going to go do that, and then we're going to have, like, the FBI characters that we have, and they're going to go act on some intelligence gain from this. And Yes, and you can play as multiple characters in the same organization, where you'd be like, oh, well, let's jump back and roll the, the office analyst characters, and then we'll go back to the field and play the field characters again. Yeah, so the book definitely is like, when you make a character, you should probably make, like, four or five, just so you have backup people for when you very clearly are going to die yeah and so that you can do different aspects of counterterrorism without it being real weird that you're like ah yes and now i guess my embedded cia agent is going to go back to the u.s to try and track down someone he just found out about you're like no that's that's fine you can just go ahead and have multiple people you just switch back to playing skinner instead of Mulder. it's fine uh okay so what was I going to say? Notably, that's not the end of a combat mechanic roll. Once you hit someone, you have to beat like either their parry or dodge evasiveness ratings uh, to, to hit them with melee or ranged combat, respectively. But that doesn't do anything yet. Then you have to roll again. Uh, this time, the you're rolling the damage dice provided by your weapon, uh, plus one, because you succeeded at hitting them at all, versus what's called their hardiness score. Uh, which is which can be altered by armor, but is also another static defense value from the the uh, category of skills called defenses. And everything that's in the defenses category is just static values that that oppose other skills. Yeah, and the fact that there is a cap of six, and at the start, the most you could have at something is a four, it means even if you're like, yeah, I'm so wily and squirrely and I, I can get around and dodge stuff or I'm super tough, the book is like, no, that none of that matters, because if someone's rolling at least two or three dice, they're almost going to be guaranteed to hit you. Yeah. Now, granted, there's a cap on the number of dice you can pick up and roll. I don't know that there is an equivalent cap on how high you're allowed to stack static values. Well, it's all of your skills cap at six. Oh, and no, since it's a skill, your die pools cap at six. I don't know if that's the same thing as saying that you're uh, like if you had situational bonuses, like you had a four in, in dodge plus a plus two cover zone that gives you a six die or six static value i don't know if it's possible to do a seven static value based yes. on like hiding behind a wall yes it okay, is so there you i'm go. just saying you can only get to six in any of your yeah. base the, stats. the uh the way the cap works is you can't roll for any reason more than six dice on one roll it doesn't matter what your skill score is it doesn't matter how many situational bonuses you have stacked six is the most dice you're allowed to roll at once um okay so there's also initiative roles, which leads to a question I had that I still have yet to answer, and I don't know if you have the same question. Um, to to calculate initiative, you roll your speed skill, mm-hmm. and then you just take the highest value for who goes first and so on, with 10s getting a little bit of a bonus. 
But speed isn't a skill that you have automatically. Uh, speed is a skill you can purchase from as one of the seven or so skills from the physical category, and there's no rule for what happens if you don't invest in it. Uh, because actually you're not rolling your speed score, you're rolling a d10 and adding your speed score. Ah, that changes things, okay. Yeah, so yeah. if I you don't you have a speed, speed, it's just a straight d10. See, I thought you were literally rolling your speed value, as in, like, if you have three in speed, you pick up three dice and roll them. Nope. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. Uh, speed also dramatically increases your character's movement, so I would probably be investing in it anyway. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, everyone can move 20 feet per round, which is a five-second period, but if you invest one point in speed, you add 10 to that per point of speed. Yeah, it's uh, it's a lot. Yeah, so you get real fast, uh, which seems like it'd be pretty worthwhile, given how much of a grid combat game this is. Well, yeah, when it says it has a gritty, bloody combat system, it's not so much the dice rolls that it is talking about, it's that this game... Once you hit combat, it, for some reason, wants to zoom out to be a tactical miniatures combat system mm -hmm. with facing and everything. Yeah, yeah. You take extra, you uh, have a minus two to your, your evasive, any of your defenses if you're shot from behind, including hardiness. And a minus one from the side. Yes, and a minus one from the side. So facing is super important. It's supposed to be played on a square grid. You can tell that just because there's a... Uh, there's a, a, a layout in the middle of the book that shows explosion charts, like their scatter charts and how big explosions get, which suggests that you're supposed to play on, on grids that are hundreds of squares across. Well, I mean, the game also has the option for you can play as a squad of guys who are individually controlled and you walk around and, mm -hmm. you know, this would be your sort of like, you know, Rainbow Six, we all breach into a building and we're all doing a bunch of stuff. Yeah, he plays one guy each, yeah. Or... You can do a pullback where you're like, all right, the squad is one thing on this board because we're doing, instead of like five foot squares D&D &D style, each one of these squares is like 100 feet and yeah. we're doing an entire city. The rules for that section are surprisingly scant. Like you think, yeah. oh, it's got a pullback where you can play it at, at a, uh, a commander level where you're commanding squads of people to take on squads of terrorists. That's neat. What's the rules for that? Uh, it's just this one page in this one section about how you have grid combat. Uh, yeah, well, what, I mean, it's essentially just do it the exact same way as you would but if say it was individual, but just yeah. say that guy's a squad and that guy's a squad. Yeah, so that's kind of a surprise. Uh, I don't even remember. if the, You may have noticed by now uh, that we have not mentioned stats. There aren't any. Nope. Um, it's a skill system only game. Yeah, you got 42 skills and that's basically it. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the game's rules are actually contained inside of those skill descriptions. If you're wondering about how the gameplay operates, you know, we've talked about combat and so on, but obviously you're playing as the real CIA or the real FBI here. There's even or a the real Ghostbusters. Yeah, or the real Ghostbusters or the real Housewives of Cancun. That's, I'd watch that show. That's I, the first real Housewives I'd watch. I wouldn't. <laughs> At least they're not American. Uh, they'd probably still be American. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. God damn it. <laughs> uh, anyway, what the hell was I trying to say? Because it's so hyper-realistic. Uh, no, I literally have lost it. I have no idea what I was trying to John, help me out. You, The interruption has taken my brain away. Oh, excellent. Because it's real. Because it's so real. Oh, my God. You're this not. Is, this is amazing. It's... <laughs> It's like watching a monkey play a video game. It's amazing to me. I think people would pay way more money than we make to watch that. 
how do we get how do we get our hands on a monkey? Uh, anyway, Please. what you were saying was thank you. the skills contain sort of the rules for how you would use them. Ah, uh, thank you. Because the game can't be an action movie. That's not what they were trying to build. Although a lot of the time that feels like. It both feels like it's a cross purposes. Like it's constantly like you're playing a very real FBI agent with real hopes and dreams and limitations. Incidentally, what if terrorists took over a cruise boat? Oh, the weird split from I know every minutia, every detail about all these things. I want to tell you about the structure of the FBI. I want to tell you about how you get a raise in Homeland Security. Yeah, and then how many se- secretaries everyone has. Yeah, and then it that- goes to what are the things that you will do when you play this game? They're like, ah, someone's bought a bomb into the embassy and only one man can stop them. And you're like, wait a minute. Why am I, why am I playing like diehard and shit? You're going to have to scuba your way into Alcatraz to take out the villainous chair face Chippendale. What the fuck? (laughs) Yeah. But what I was trying to get across was that since the combat mechanics can't be the core here, it's going to be a lot of skill roles to gather information, conduct forensic analyses, uh, track the movements of money between various people, that kind of stuff. So for all those rules, they're mostly just contained in the skill descriptions. Like if you look at forensics, it's like an average forensic analysis takes 1d10 hours. But if you crit, it takes 1d10 minutes. And that's pretty much universal from one skill to the next is this 1d10 X unit of time or 1d10 next unit down of time if you crit. Yeah, which why is it so very random? It's got a big palladium issue there where you're like, nothing can be set. Everything is random. And it's random in a way that has no bearing on what's going on. If you're like, well, it's an especially complicated lock you have to pick today. That's why it's going to take two hours. Uh, Sorry, I crit. I believe you mean two minutes. Yeah. The the fact that you can shove things from being like, this is going to take you 10 days to 10 hours. I'm like, how? What? (laughs) Yeah. And and again, it it has a problem. I mean, if it said up to the DM or because the only thing it says in all these skills is if you want to do a cost benefit analysis, it's going to take you one D 10 hours and not, you know, an amount of time commensurate to what the GM thinks is is correct or one D 10 hours if they can't think of anything. Yeah. If, If you just need help, try this. Instead, they're making it a player forward thing, which if it was a DM forward thing, if it was back in the DM section of the book, which there isn't one of anyway. But if there was if there was a DM section, it was like, hey, if you can't think of a number of hours it should take to fix a car, roll a D10 and don't tell the players why. Then just say it takes six hours. (laughs) But instead, it's like, hey, players, are you reading the skills you need to write down in your sheet? Every time you want to do a disguise check, it takes one D10 minutes. Hmm. Why? Okay, well, I guess that means any time the DM argues with me, I could just point at this section in the book. It's got that palladium problem where there's randomness for no reason. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, What else? Oh, I was going to say some stuff we didn't really cover in the whole combat section thing. Uh, Because this game wants to be super bloody and gritty and realistic, you have three hit points oh that's right we should really talk about the wound track yeah you have a minus one a minus two in cap and if anything hits you past in cap you're dead yep uh but at in cap you're also dying yep and Uh, if you want to make it super cinematic rules where you're actually a super badass juggernaut of justice you get 
five yeah, hit there's, points. Yeah, there's a sidebar on like the first page of the book that's like, hey, we understand that many of you are going to want to use this game to play out your like counterterrorism fantasy video game scenarios or oh, whatever. Oh, yeah, you want to do Call of Duty with this. Yeah, and if you want to do that, then here's the cinematic rules. Increase wounds to five. Okay, moving on. Yeah, now <laughs> you have two minus ones and minus twos. All right. <laughs> oh, great. Sure. Thanks. Uh, if, now, you, if you get wounded, it takes a week to heal one level of wound, but medicine rolls can modify that. The, the damage, though, is probably one of the better things in here because when someone shoots you, if they roll, you know, a ton of dice and they succeed in hitting you and then they beat your hardiness, the damage is just the roll to see if they beat the hardiness rating. If they do, you take one damage. Unless they rolled a 10, in which case you take an extra damage. And if they had multiple <laughs> dice come up 10s, you take more. But on a general shot, you'll be like, oh yeah, you know, you you'll a take a damage from getting shot. Yeah, you got or winged. Or stabbed, or whatever. Exactly. You got winged, or I assume the, uh, the past tense of that is wung. Yeah, you got wung. You got wung. <laughs> Everybody gets wung. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so... Uh, it, yeah, the mechanics of the of, of health tracks make a lot of sense, and it makes it easy to build villains who go down quickly, because you can just be like, all right, well, these are mooks, they have one hit point, and it's fine. Oh, yeah. Compared to your three, it's not really that much of a difference, and that way we don't have to spend time doing slugfest combat. Yeah, because at that point, you're like, all I need to do is connect, and I can take out someone, whoever I'm shooting at. This lets us do the whole, like, go through some complex and go around a corner and shoot a dude and be like, clear! Yeah. And the uh, number of successes you get on your hit, your hit roll don't translate to extra wounds, but you can get extra wounds out of a regular shot of a weapon because weapons have their own damage. Which die I table, said. Which you said. <laughs> I was busy still living in my moment where I couldn't remember what the hell I was talking about. That's fine. You I'm can just a... embarrass yourself in new interesting oh, ways. Oh, you son of a bitch. <laughs> now folks are understanding why I never stop talking on the show, because if I let you talk, I'll forget what the fuck I was saying. Because <laughs> if you let me talk, I will put a spell on you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah so and you went over crit successes as well yeah so the the system itself being just d10s take highest and if you get a 10 maybe it's better is so simple and bare bones that i was like all right that's interesting because again the assumption i had going into this is if you're the type of person that is this into the idea of counterterrorism. I was expecting page after page of guns. Oh, God. Page right? after page of yeah. different types of like clips and like these flashbangs and all that other stuff. Well, because one thing that's what they're into. Especially because one thing that definitely sets the tone for this book is in the very early part of it, when it's talking about what player characters are going to be, there is the only picture I th of in this book that I think is of a player character. And it is like. Uh, an extremely, like, late-life Steven Seagal weekend warrior-looking motherfucker. Oh, he's got cargo shorts. Tactical and a, straps everywhere. Yeah, he's just managed to put, like, 20 different knives on himself for no reason. The, everything in this book is black and white line art, but I guarantee you anyway that this guy is wearing orange-tinted sunglasses. <laughs> like, there's no way he isn't. And he's got, like, 15 guns on him. And oh, yeah, it, yeah, he's got the hat, he's got... I love that it's the cargo shorts, and then he has strapped things 
around the shorts such that he couldn't use the cargo pockets for their intended use because the strap he's putting one of his four sidearms in yeah. is blocking now, it. Now, I know the world hates cargo shorts, and I personally am a strong uh, pretend, or protector of cargo shorts because fuck you, anyone can wear whatever the fuck they want. <laughs> yeah, hey, you're, you're not you know my what? friend. Cargo shorts, they're comfortable. They're, fi- they're comfortable. I don't care about the pockets. I'm not loading them up with secret candies. <laughs> I am. Which is why you shouldn't check. <laughs> I definitely do not have secret candies. Please do not put your hands in my pockets. Yeah, there's not. A- I do not have a handful of mashed potatoes for you in each of my each of my pockets, so quit asking. I have not been shoveling tater tots in there for later. Yes. Do not ask. But, I mean, I'm just saying, I like cargo shorts. But, yeah, if you have cargo shorts on and you strap pouches to them, you could have skipped to regular. That said, cargo shorts are kind of a thing. They make sense that I don't really fi- often find shorts that have the cargo shorts cut that don't have useless side pockets. True. Yeah. If Maybe. you're a big fat guy like me, yeah, you want those cargo shorts because they're 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 nice and comfortable, and they're not like all up in your business. Plus, you can hide your secret candy, which I'm now telling the world about, folks. No. If you see John, he has cargo shorts on. Ask him for secret candy. He is oblo- obliged to give you some. Yeah, it's it's like if you ask someone if there's a cop, they have to tell you. It's he's got he operates under leprechaun rules. <laughs> if you can catch me and ask for some Swedish fish mm-hmm. out of my cargo shorts, mm-hmm. I have to give them to you. That's right. And if he doesn't have Swedish fish on him, then he has to say a limerick about the way you'll die. <laughs> I'll lead you across the rainbow to my secret treasure trove of Reese's peanut butter cups. <laughs> He's got all those weird variations on them, too. <laughs> yeah. Do you want the ones where they've got Reese's pieces in them? I don't. That doesn't add anything to them. No, it's at all. just worse. <laughs> How about the ones where the proportions of peanut butter to chocolate are wildly off? <laughs> just very wrong. <laughs> He's got them, though. I've got them in egg shape. Tree shape, ghost shape, <laughs> yeah. pumpkin Jack shape. lantern yeah, you got it. <laughs> Those terrible ones where no matter how carefully you peel the paper off, the entire bottom goes with it. Oh, yeah. He's got them all. All of them. Yeah. All I have are the flavors of Tootsie Roll other than chocolate. Which, I mean, let's be honest, are great it, and better than chocolate. It is 100% true. To- chocolate Tootsie Rolls don't taste like chocolate. They taste like Tootsie Roll. Yeah. It's a unique flavor where lime Tootsie Rolls taste a little like lime. Yeah, you can have an orange Tootsie Roll and be like, I can get orange from this. Yeah, but that said, those things might as well not exist because most, you tell people like, oh, I've got a handful of lime and orange Tootsie Rolls and they will look at you like you are a madman. <laughs> uh, see, I would look at you like, oh, did you just come back from the arcade? <laughs> the only place where you can find those for five tickets a piece? Somehow they were in my Halloween bag. I don't know where they got them. Probably the arcade. Probably. Those are the two places in the world. Halloween bag, arcade, where you can find those fucking things. Or go to the Tootsie Roll website and be like, hey, distributor, please give them to me. Mm-hmm. Just like I went and got a giant 18 pack of Charleston Jews. I remember one year for Halloween... I bought for because I'm an adult, so I have to hand out candy. I bought because I'm an adult. Yeah. And I just buy myself candy. I, I had to hand out candy. I bought a Tootsie Roll pack, and I was like, "Oh, neat! This will probably have those in it." It didn't. It just had various weight distributions of Tootsie Roll chocolate. Oh yeah, so you like get the long the, ones, the, the, the thick, thick one, ones, the really long one, the regular one. <laughs> I love. Like, that. Why is this a pack? I love that pack because <laughs> it's so pointless. <laughs> Like what's this? Oh, it's uh, it teaches it's kids the thick turd, yeah. the skinny turd. This is designed to teach little boys to be okay with the size of their penis. 
<laughs> See, there's lots of them. It's okay. Look, it's all varieties. Maybe you got a thick, chunky little one with three striations like you were going to cut it in half and share it. Oh, uh, my Tootsie Roll has a veiny part to it. <laughs> and that's okay and beautiful. Uh, I got tootsie my roll. uncut Tootsie Roll. <laughs> your, your uncut Tootsie Roll is valid and deserves love. <laughs> Jesus, we have gone way off the reservation I, I can tell you why, because we're pretty much done talking about the book's rules. And the next thing is this guy's just endless measured dialogue or diatribe about terrorism. Oh, yeah. He starts the, the very next thing after you're done with all the combat mechanics. The first chapter of, uh, is called In the Mind of a Terrorist. Oh, I Now, again, it's one of the things where I look at that and I think to myself, oh, here it comes. Here's the stuff that I knew was going to happen. And again, it's just like the history of terrorism can be traced back to the French Revolution. Yeah, he he thankfully he he mentions okay, yes, there's such a thing as like the Hashashin and Middle Eastern terrorists and technically ninjas are probably considered terror assassins and so on. So, there is a history of, you know, killing people indiscriminately for political reasons, but modern terrorism started at the French Revolution. I love that he does not elaborate yes. on that at all, though. Yeah, obviously, it, when I first read that, I was like, okay, he's not elaborating. So is he just saying that the French Revolution was terror? I mean, it was more of a grassroots societal uprising. That Do you have Louis the Sixteenth's poxy old dick in your mouth still, or what's <laughs> happening here, buddy? Yeah, are you like, ah, this is no legitimate government. <laughs> this is a terrorist organization. They should have just let the Louis continue to reign. <laughs> That's the that that's the hill I'm dying on, Mr. Modern Terrorism Man. I mean, if he were to elaborate even a little bit, he could get into the whole reign of terror, uh, the, the, all the Jacobin stuff and all the, the, the uh, counter-revolutionaries that started scrim popping up and the, the controlled sales of land and all that, that would probably have constituted what the hell he actually meant. But as it stood, it doesn't make a fucking lick of sense. Yeah, but when you just give one <laughs> sentence of... Modern terrorism started with the French Revolution. And here we are. Moving on. <laughs> no questions, please. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Note that I am not going to say the year the French Revolution took place in. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> I think that was about 1860. <sighs> Fucking shit. 1789. Fuck you. <laughs> uh, but even then, again, they've got just... A lot of very dry, like, this is the year when the IRA was formed. Yes. These are the acts that they committed and the major characters uh, that were in it. The big power players, yeah. Uh, and it's just a long list. So if you want to hear about the IRA or the Tamil Tigers or, you know, Al-Qaeda, we definitely get a lot of shit about Bin Laden in here. Also, I didn't know that the Patriot Act actually stood for something. Mm -hmm. That it is providing appropriate tools required to intercept and obstruct terrorism and i was like nice someone really wanted patriot yeah. to go in there i'm glad it stood for that because up until now i always assumed it was an acronym that just stood for penis and titty riot <laughs> <laughs> oh man i saw them live once <laughs> oh the penis and titty riot yeah they're a good band oh man you, the mosh pit was crazy <laughs> you'd think it would be <laughs> it was real helpful though anyone who fell down they'd get you back up and oh, throw yeah. you right in <laughs> 
I've never actually been in a helpful mosh pit. I wish I, I have. You have? That's nice. I mean, I've been to ska. Thing is, I've been to a lot of ska mosh pits because I've been to a lot uh. of ska shows, and those are helpful, but that's because they're not really mosh pits. No, I went to Atari Teenage Riot, okay. which is what I was basically basing that on, mm-hmm. and it was a mosh pit that was very violent, but if anyone crossed certain lines, they were like, no. Yeah, they'd zero in and take you out. And yeah. also, anyone who fell, they'd immediately do a ring, pick you up, get you out. Yeah. Yeah, the closest I've seen was Aquabat's mosh pit I saw once. A little girl got in there, and she took, like, one shoulder charge, and everyone stopped, got rid of that guy, and then helped her out of there again. Yeah. But they stopped They stopped long enough for her to have a good time. Like, everyone circled around her and let her bump into them. And I was like, oh, that's exactly what I wanted to see at an Aquabat show. Oh, yeah. Whereas this mosh pit was mostly people running full speed, jumping and elbow dropping people. I was like, this looks like the Royal Rumble. (laughs) Jesus Christ, the Iron Sheik's in there. (laughs) Oh, good God, he's got a chair. (laughs) He shouldn't be in there. He's like 79. Someone show that man some respect. I'm glad he has a chair. (laughs) He's trying to sit down. (laughs) Uh, (sighs) Yes. (laughs) <laughs> so there you go. He's trying to remember being Joe Green. <laughs> I believe I liked him. <laughs> As I recall, we both kind of liked it. <laughs> this is a great mosh pit here at the Breakfast at Tiffany show. <laughs> uh, every time they play Breakfast at Tiffany's, just elbows flying. How much moshing do you think takes place at a Deep Blue Something concert? <laughs> Uh, one moshing. One mosh. It's one fucking guy. Just one guy who's like, fuck yeah! Woo! Yeah, they have to have the mosh pit against a wall so he has something to hit. <laughs> Thunk. Yeah, fuck yeah! Play play Breakfast at Tiffany's. Play your other hit. Breakfast at Tiffany's live. Ah, <laughs> uh, so sad. Uh, Alright, where were we? Uh, yes, oh, the, the Patriot Act, again, one of those things where when I saw the sidebar... And he's just like, this is literally what it does, just the letter of it. It is considered by some to be a breach of our liberties, and we have gone too far. Others consider it necessary so that we can combat terrorism. I'm like, man, you are so dry throughout this whole thing. Yeah, he does not want to take a stand at any point. And I get it. The closest thing, I think, to taking a stand is there's a point right after he's done with Muslim terrorism, he dives into white supremacist and patriot Christian terrorism. And he's very matter-of-fact throughout. You know, he's talking about Ruby Ridge. He's talking about Waco. He talks about Timothy McVeigh. Yeah. Uh, He gets through the list of... of, I mean, granted, this book comes out before the modern era of right-wing terrorism and the Vegas shootings and the constant school shootings. Yes. So he, he th- thankfully, do- for him at least, he doesn't have to get marks for not including any of that because it hadn't really started yet. No. Uh, but when he is done discussing white patriot terrorism and and, and uh, list- going through and listing like the big names at the time and so on, he has a line item that's like, by the way, just so you know, there's nothing illegal about being a white patriot, white supremacist Christian. Only when you start committing illegal acts will FBI people stand up and take notice. And I'm like, that's not even true. It's only when they take a- they, they take acts and someone caught it on film. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, there's a whole point where he's like, hey, just so you know, it's okay to be one of these guys. Probable audience of this book. <laughs> I just realized who's buying this. <laughs> Uh, 
And then there is a section towards the end where uh, I, this is a part I was trying to get to earlier uh, when I completely lost my brain for a minute uh, that there's a bit where he mentions bin Laden. He's like, look, your players aren't going to take it seriously if you're if their villain is bin Laden. It's, I understand. And you maybe want to replay in this as of the writing of this book, bin Laden alive. This is this is pre SEAL Team Six getting him. Yeah. So he's writing about him as as an active villain who still exists in the world somewhere we don't know. And he is he's like, hey, your players aren't gonna be able to take it seriously if they get faced with bin Laden. They're just gonna try and murder him because that's what everyone wants to do. Uh so don't use him. Instead, use the real existing terror network sparingly, and here's a couple I made up that you can use. Yeah, when he comes with the Here's some made-up terrorist organizations and people. I was like, you can tell he's way better at memorizing de- uh, uh, charts than he is at making things up. Oh yeah, because you go through this whole thing, and it's very much like, ah, uh, here are the names of these various places. And he's like, what's a fake terrorist organization? The Sharks, the Shark Club. <laughs> yeah, we're the Shark Club, and we want to fight Batman. First of all. Fuck you for taking the Shark Club and making it some white supremacist bullshit. I'm a, sta- a member in proud standing of the Shark Club because I like sharks. And really? You- because I'm a jet. And when you're a jet, you're a jet all the way. <laughs> Great, let's rumble. <laughs> I don't know any of the songs from this movie. <laughs> That's not true. I know the big one. Maria? Thank you. Or uh, I Feel Pretty? No, it was Maria. Oh, okay. Yeah. Or uh- I Want to Live in America? Oh, shit, that's from that? This is all West Side Story, baby! Wait, hold on. I'm, I'm sorry. When when I hear I want to live in America, I, I, I is it the, I want to live in America? Is that the one? Okay, yeah. good, yeah. Because that, that came to my head after I said I know it, and at first I was thinking that song from uh, Five Go- or, uh, American Tale. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to be very straightforward and honest with you. And you were like, uh, I want to live in America. I was like, yeah, because the streets are paved with cheese. Yeah. I know that fucking song. Obviously. <laughs> I, I know all these Puerto Ricans want to live in America because of cheese. Well, they're so scared of cats. <laughs> Just known. <laughs> oh. Well-documented, faceted of the Puerto Rican national identity. Uh, well, they're American, but of, of the state, the not should be a state identity. The should be a state, state identity. identity of the Puerto Rican is that they're all afraid of cats. All of them. <laughs> Every last one. It's like a Star Wars thing. <laughs> Even if you move there, they tell you on arrival. No, like, hey, you got to be afraid of cats now. And if you aren't, they'll make you. Yeah, yeah they have ways. <laughs> They have ways of making you afraid of cats. <laughs> well, first they're going to show you cats. All I'm saying is that the Shark Club is it's a it's a white supremacist network. It's ru- it's run by some pastor who who advises his his white supremacist knucklehead followers that they should be like sharks among a sea of idiot fish. Yeah, and go forth and take out the people who are. I don't know, impurifying the waters or whatever. And I'm like, fuck you. Shark Club is a cool club for dudes who like sharks. <laughs> You're for tools. And the first rule of Shark Club is you got to like sharks. You got to like sharks a whole lot. Sharks a lot. Sharks a lot. You got The second rule is you got to know that sharks don't have two dicks. Those are called claspers. <laughs> okay. Did you know those two things? You're a member of Shark Club. Welcome to the team. Welcome. The next one is called the Mu- the Muslim Justice Brotherhood, which sounds a lot more like it should be a superhero team than a... Than a- <laughs> yes. No, all of his <laughs> fake organizations, I was like... Man, you got no idea what you're doing here, do you? <laughs> I mean, I get it. Ter- terrorist organizations tend to have names that come out of nowhere. Like, there's one that operates out of the Middle East now, but was founded in Japan and is called the J- like the Japan Red Army, and it is not in Japan anymore. 
So they're not even red. That's like a real army. (laughs) That's like a real one. So, you know, because they're grassroots and they can spring up and take power from anywhere and you never know how big they're going to get, they often have names that don't make a lot of sense. But none of them are called the Shark Club. (laughs) I mean, honestly, I was like, man, this is... This is just one step away from being like the Brotherhood of Evil Muslims. (laughs) I mean, the Muslim Justice Brotherhood sounds like the kind of rad thing that Marvel might try now. Yeah. Yeah. But no. Put put fucking Miss Marvel on the team. I don't know. I know there's at least one mutant. uh, At least one mutant. M, I want to say. I forget who the... the, uh, She could turn herself into sandstorms or something. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't good. She turned herself into sandstorm by Daruday. Or is that Darude? Darude. It's Darude, really? It's Darude Boy. Oh, that sucks. I thought it was Darude. I mean, I prefer the pronunciation Darude. Yeah. I mean, I have no idea what the actual right answer there is. They're fucking Italian or something. I'd have to ask them, and I don't know if I'll be able to speak their language. They're from that 90s era when Italian EDM bands could get famous, and then everyone thinks they're French. Like what happened to Eiffel 65. Yeah, well, you put the word Eiffel exactly. in your band. <laughs> it's not you there. fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> but if you're a... an Italian band and you're like, oh, we're called the Paris Players, <laughs> you fucked up. Yes, we're Arc du Triomphe. <laughs> are you sure? Why are you that? We are the snooty baguettes. <laughs> and we are so Italian. <laughs> hey, it's me, the Italian baguette. Eh? <laughs> Finally, a French EDM band. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Ah, oh, this episode is so punchy. Well, we don't have a choice. We're we're pretty much out of topic. Yeah, I mean, there's I mean, the, the back of the book is just a, a, a list of ideas for adventures you could run, almost all of which are like a cool shit, the, uh, the kind of cool shit that would happen to Steven Seagal happens. It's like you're in an episode of 24. You've got to get the information by any means necessary. Yeah. And then there's a full written adventure. Most of those are just little story hook things, which I kind of prefer to the full written adventures. Uh, but there is a full a full written adventure called Dirty Water, which is an idea about a Boston terrorism activity ha- happening. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, it is not even remotely similar to the parade bombing. Uh, it's more like a guy named Mohammed bin Abraham. Because, again, this guy's not good at making things up. He's really good at listing. Yep. He's like, I have a lot of information, but as soon as I need to come up with information, I'm like, I don't know. Uh, Charlie McTerrorist shows up and he's like. I'm part of the gun havers. Here comes a Muslim terrorist. His name is Ahmed Ibn Ahmed. And he is real mad about the government. <laughs> Great. Uh, he has a bomb. But yeah, there's like this dude who has a... There's a whole thing where like a terrorist has purchased a dirty bomb from Russian mobsters, making sure to mention that Russian mobs are called bratvas. You know, just to you know, yeah. fit that in there. Because it's a thing I know. Yeah. Uh and also, of the two Russian mobsters, the Russian mob decided to put a hit on them to eliminate loose ends, and so only one of them is still alive. And it's it's well presented in terms of a, an idea of how you'd want the gameplay to go, because there's no linear progression. It's just like, here's a whole shitload of information. Here's the ways you can find that information. Yeah. Uh, because obviously the players are just going to be like, all right, we arrive on scene. I roll forensics. Uh, I roll gather information. I attempt to debate that guy. I like, like it's just I attempt to debate that guy. Change my mind. <laughs> oh, sir, please. Debate is not about changing minds. It's about impressing the judges. <laughs> Hold on. I would like to present a counter argument. <laughs> I mean, you're welcome to. But again, you're not going to change my mind. That's not the point of this. Oh, I know. <laughs> but I believe you'll find a hard time fighting against my counter proposal. <laughs> 
well, I don't have to fight against your counterproposal. The judges have to debate the merits of it. And well, I'm- no, because if you don't counter my argument, then you have not countered anything that I've said, and thus I gained the point. Ooh, interesting. But I've thrown out 45 arguments during my turn, which means you have to spend your entire turn defending each one of them in turn. It's called the Gish Gallop, and I win. <laughs> I was in debate club. <laughs> I don't remember if I was or not. I was on a ca- academic decathlon. I was actually on debate for a while. Oh, okay, very good. I don't think I ever was actually on debate. Oh, it's so goddamn structured of like, yes. you go up, you present this, they go up, they refute, or present a counter to yours. Yes. No, I did I did academic decathlon, but that was the that was the nerdiest uh, outside of being in the school's D&D club, which well, was a real thing run by the by the craziest of the physics teachers. I mean, I was in the chess club, not that we ever met. I was in chess club too. It was so I could hit on a girl. Ah. Um uh, I did not have that opportunity. Yeah, I know, you went to a boys school, but then she agreed to go on a date with me and I did not go to chess club after that, I believe. <laughs> she agreed to go on a date with me and then we went and played chess. Yeah, yeah, I'm afraid she ever agreed to go on that date since I the only thing I ever did in chess club is accidentally kick her square in the vagina. <laughs> Woohoo! Ouch. <laughs> it was an accident. Squai in Just the vagina. Right in there. Uh, sorry, friend. Sorry. Oh, well. She's still a friend in everything. Oh, you, look at that. Yeah, friendships are formed on kicks in the vagina. <laughs> Accidental ones, of course. Of course. Yes. All right, you want to get into the favorites and least favorites? Sure, let's do it. Fire away. What's your favorite thing about this game? Uh, honestly, I think the system itself is very simple, but if I want to drill it down, it's honestly the... Uh, the wounding system of yep. being that you just take one, mm-hmm. I wish it didn't have the extra tens rule. Yeah, me Be- too. Because it actually continues on with like, oh, if you had four dice of damage and rolled three tens, you did three wounds, and that's garbage. I want it to be like, oh no, if you deal damage, that's your present. You dealt some damage to someone. I mean, I understand why it's there, because otherwise you have this problem where... Every- at a metaphysical level, everyone's like, geez, everyone in the world can take exactly three bullets. Huh. <laughs> well, no, you can, because the bad guys are all going to be like, ah, they take one or two. That's fair. You got a point there. That or you face a big guy and he has four. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, anyway, um, I, I get that. I think the wound system does is pretty straightforward. And I like that it, it it's designed to in, inflict wings on you so you can get hit and hide behind the card, stay in the and be like, oh, they got me in the shoulder, Johnny. You're going to need to fight for me, Johnny. And Agent Johnny. <laughs> Johnny, Agent Johnny. Please do not quote Poe on my show. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's fine. I like that song. No, please quote. Please, please continue to quote Poe. <laughs> Nevermore. Now, <laughs> the thing Not I like... Poe. The good Baltimore Poe. <laughs> the good Baltimore Poe. Yeah. The No, but the thing I like as well is when you have something like that, you don't have to worry about like, oh, I've got 73 hit points and I get eight more, so I've got 81 hit... And it's like, what does that even look like? Yeah. But with this, yeah. having it just be so very simple and granular was a, a good choice in this. Mm-hmm. What about you? Uh, my favorite thing in this is that the skill system allows that everyone can take any skill. Mm-hmm. I like that system. When I first got across, when I was like, okay, you pick three of these, you get four of them as secondaries. This is, okay, this is probably going to be like 15 skills, and 
and it's going to be a whole, it's going to be like picking skill packages in an old play game. No, you get seven skill ca- categories, and there are seven skill categories. All it controls is how many points you get in each one, so you can build a fairly fluid character. Oh, yeah. And, and I liked that. I liked that you could kind of build your way, you could make an a- academic meathead. There's no rule against it. And even if something isn't your primary, that's honestly more affecting your breadth of knowledge than it is anything else because at a secondary you can get a max three in something and at primary it's max four so it's not exactly like you're missing out on being more powerful in any given thing it's just you have more points to spread around on stuff yeah and if you're doing a max four it's really hamstringing you because you have one skill that you're insane at out of a list of like seven skills and then two two and one one which is not the best you don't want to be able to roll one die yeah Okay, so that's my favorite. What is your least favorite thing in this game? Oh, I gotta say, probably my least favorite thing in this game... I mean, I want to say Shark Club, but uh, (laughs) what it actually is, is going through and having the tens be as important as they are. Yeah, yeah. Given that everything is just, oh, it's it's a D10 roll, and you're probably rolling multiple D10s, which means, like... Every third roll or so, you're going to have some super success. Yeah, it's a problem we've been tracking since, like, fucking Prime Directive, where they're like, oh, to succeed, you have to crit. If you just succeed, you fail. Yeah. Oh, I succeeded. Well, that means you skate by. And you're like, no, I should succeed at it. You should have a section for just skates by if you want to. Yeah. If if you want it to be like, tie the number and you skate by. Yeah, sure. that's something. That'd be impressive. Uh, uh, but yeah, that I, I can go with you on that. That's not great. Yeah, the fact that ten is just the only way to actually succeed in anything is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to say tone. I'm going to say content. That the fact that this book is like eighty percent just this dude rattling off facts, factoids, and figurations about fucking the CIA and the TSA and shit like that. Oh yeah. That I'm just like I don't need. To, what What's the point of this? Gamify this crap or uh, or exclude it. I mean, honestly, it's the same as reading through like the Dragon Ball Z role-playing game where you're like, yeah, obviously it has a breakdown of every single episode and anything anyone has ever done because it's for people that want to read that. At least those Japanese anime RPGs that we get from time to time, like Dragon Ball and and, uh, Tenchi Muyo and so on, those are presented as fan books plus a role-playing game. Yeah. So you know what you're getting when you buy them. Here we're like, this is not called that. This isn't called the counterterrorism fans of that shit game book, and also there's a role-playing game. I mean, it'd be real weird if this was the counterterrorism fan book, which it is. <laughs> yes. But you can't call it that. Yeah. A book of rules about or, or about of stories about pirates and also rules for playing as dog ones. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know, you're a mouse or something. Yeah. That's uh, I don't care for that. This game has way too much wasted space on like the average FBI attache will have three executive assistants. Great. Don't care. Sure. Don't care. It's be the same problem I have with the last book with uh, Marvel uh, Unlimited Marvel superheroes role playing game where it was just like, oh, three stats for how many different dollars you can invest in your building's pool table room. Oh, if you invest remarkable amounts of money in the laundry room, you have a washer and a dryer. Fuck this. What the fuck is... Recognize what you're actually writing and write that. Fair. That's all I want. That's my least favorite. Would you play this game? Uh, no. No. The the system isn't bad. Like, I'd play something in that system probably, Mm -hmm. but God knows I do not want to play as a fucking FBI agent. That's not a... 
That's not a thing that I want. Yeah, I have no interest in the source material. I don't. I don't want to play as a pig. Um, thanks though. I mean, unless it's an actual pig, or yeah. or at I least mean, a, now I do want to play anthro, as a pig. Anthro pig man. I would play that. Yeah. Yeah. Flying a plane. Yeah. I, I would play Porco Rosso. I would play Charlotte's Web. Yes. I don't want to play as an FBI agent. Indeed. You know what? You could get if this had an X Files built into it where he's like you can play as Mulder and Scully fine that is the one way you'd get me to play an FBI agent I'm, you, you I'm found trying it. to fight against uh, werewolf suicide bombers because when they blow themselves up it wasn't silver so they just come back together again <laughs> sometimes you'll fight Al-Qaeda sometimes you'll fight the Tamil Tigers sometimes you'll fight a guy who can stretch through pipes and eat livers <laughs> Sometimes a dude's just made out of cancer. Who knows? Hey, maybe every once in a while there's like a whole town where people run away to join the circus or something. There's a lot of X-Files episodes that people don't want to remember. <laughs> there's a there's a bunch of weird shit that happened in that show. <laughs> there's some episodes about, like, the internet that are just cringy now. Ah, <laughs> uh, good. So, uh, so there you have it, and uh, neither of us would play this, and that's where we're at. Hey, by the way, go support our Patreon, huh? It's a dollar to get the bonus content. There you go. I did it. Yeah, you know what? If you go over to patreon.com slash system mastery, give us a dollar, we're going to make some brash young agents in one of the alphabet places, and we're mm -hmm. going to be ready to defend America. Uh-huh. That's right. I'm going to own three kinds of guns, and each one of them's going to have... Four kinds of scopes on it. And let me tell you, if someone were to try and come for my daughter. Regular, telescopic, night vision, and toothpaste. Those are the names of my daughters. <laughs> Get in here, telescopic. <laughs> hey, toothpaste, what are you doing back there? Yes, sir, Mr. Daddy, sir. <laughs> Mr. Daddy. Mr. Daddy, sir. They call me Mr. Daddy. <laughs> well, I've got my bonus content oh, character name. <laughs> Daddy was my father's name, please. <laughs> call me Mr. Daddy. <laughs> Yep, that's Fuck. the Patreon. $1 gets you the bonus content for this, but there are other levels you can support us at. The $2 level unlocks more, and so does the $5 level. So consider it. Stop on by, join us, get all the bonus content you want, and uh, we'll see you there. That's right. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have any money, that's a shame. Then uh, smile will do, and God bless you. If you don't have any money, then seek out John and ask for his pocket candy. <laughs> no! It will keep you healthy through the cold nights. <laughs> all right, rate us on wherever you listen to the podcast a good rating and a review helps us out i'm i'm not gonna say as much as money but it's close it's real close actually because it helps more people find us and they might have money yeah just think about it that way think about it as you are the structure of our pyramid scheme <laughs> we You're need you to have your downflow to go to multiple people who will tell other people about us look if you can't afford to be the fish you can afford to be the worm <laughs> Uh, that makes it sound awful. <laughs> Ooh, that's bad. <laughs> I should get out of here while the getting's good. Yoinks! Uh, actually, goodbye, everybody. Thanks for listening.